Well, today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read verses 15 through 21. We're going to be reading this in the ESV. We encourage you to look up the scripture if you have a, a Bible app or if you have a Bible handy. Again, it's Genesis chapter 50. We're going to read verses 15 through 21. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now forgive the sins of the servants of, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right, today's message is... Uh, a continuation in our Firm Foundation series. Today's message is called Meant for Good. Have you ever had something happen to you that you thought was good, but it actually turned out to not be so good? Or maybe the opposite, something that, that wasn't good in your eyes, but actually turned out to be sort of a hidden blessing. Um, when I was in college, uh, there was something that happened to me that I thought was good. Uh, but now sometimes I talk about it as the worst thing to ever happen to me in college. <laughs> and it was, uh, well, okay, maybe not the worst thing to happen uh, in my entire college career, but the worst thing that could have happened on my first test. And so um, my first test in college uh, as a college freshman was in an introduction chemistry, introductory chemistry class. And this class was, uh, I, I went to a kind of a small school, most of the classes were pretty small uh, because of that, but uh, this class had like over 300 people. It was, it was uh, maybe the biggest class uh, in that college. And um, uh, yeah, like my first uh, test, um, you know, I was like a college freshman. I didn't really know how to study. Uh, and so I just kind of procrastinated. And the night before, I, I just did some cramming like at midnight, you know, and I took this test, um, you know, just not really knowing what was going to happen. But it turned out that I got 100 on the test. So, uh, I mean, don't be too impressed because, uh, I mean, to be honest, I took advanced placement chemistry in high school. I had a really good teacher. And most of it was review, to be honest. But, uh, you know, when, when we got the results back, um, I honestly didn't know. Uh, I was, like, really tired, and I, I really didn't know how well I did. Um, but, but when they passed back the test, uh, the professor was like, Hey, you know, in this class of like over 300 people, six of you got 100. You know, I'm going to be watching you and see how you do the rest of the semester. You know, I expect good things. You know, and I got to tell you, man, my little freshman ego just, like it grew so big. I, I was like, dude, college is easy, man. I got this. I barely studied and I got 100. And I say now, that that was the worst thing that could have happened to me because I let my guard down, you know? 
And, and honestly, I think now, looking back on it years later, that if I had failed that first test, it actually would have been better. You know, because I would have been like, oh man, you know, I got to study harder. Yeah, I got to take this seriously. It's a brand new ball game. But because I got 100, you know, and of course at the time I was ecstatic. I was like, oh man, you know, I was so happy. But I didn't really study that hard the rest of the semester. And so I ended up getting a B in the class, you know. And, and to be honest, it, it sort of set the tone for the rest of my college career, you know, in thinking that, that I, I could get away with cramming. And so, brothers and sisters, are there times where, you know, maybe there's something that you thought was good turned out to be not so good? Um, but, of course, the opposite can be true as well. And, you know, I think many times in life, we think we know when something is good. Um, but oftentimes, uh, we don't really know because we can't see the big picture of things. Um, you know, I, I, I hear from time to time, you know, people saying to me, you know, uh, they'll be like, hey, Pastor Steve, um, you know, can you pray for me? That, 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 you know, I, I get this job that I'm applying for, you know? And, and I, I sometimes wonder about that, you know? It's like, well, do you really want that job? Because, I mean, to be honest, you don't really know if it's going to be good or not, you know? Is that really the way we should pray for a job, for instance? Because I know there are a lot of people that maybe they were, like, really excited about a job, you know? And then they get it, and they turn, it, it turns out to be, like, miserable, you know, how many times has that happened to you, for those of us who are uh, in the working world? You know, you have all this hope, and, and, and you thought this job was going to be perfect for you. But then your boss turns out to be a taskmaster, or you hate your team that you work with. You know, how do we really know if something is good for us? But for many of us, we have this sense of like, oh, this is going to be good, or this is going to be bad. Um, in, in today's uh, uh, scripture story, um, th- there's uh, definitely a lot of things that happened to Joseph that seem really bad on the surface. But in the end, God uses it for good. But I want you for a moment, because I think a lot of us have this, this problem, this issue, that we look at our lives, and when things happen, we judge it, and we think, this is good or this is bad. How do you really know that? You know, so what attitude should we have towards life, or how can we sort of have freedom? Because honestly, brothers and sisters, I think for a lot of us, uh, the burden of thinking that we know whether something is going to be good, uh, you know, it, it makes us really anxious. I mean, let's be honest. This week, we're headed into an election, right? There's a lot of us that are looking at this, and we're, we're, we've got a lot of anxiety, as Brother Andrew was sharing. Um, you know, and, and we look at these things and we're like, oh man, you know, is this going to be good or this is going to be bad, right? What do you do with that? What do you do with that burden of, of, of thinking that we know whether something is going to be good or bad? Well, let's take a look at uh, today's scripture passage because like I said, there's going to be things that happen to Joseph that seem bad on the surface, but are they really uh, so in Genesis 37, we're going to, uh, this is kind of uh, actually the longest narrative in, in Genesis is about um, Joseph and his family. And so we're going to take a look at this, um, not the whole thing, but let's take a look at the beginning at least. So 
just to kind of fill you in what, what comes right before what we're going to read here in Genesis 37, um, Joseph was um, the, not uh, Jacob's firstborn, but the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. Remember that he had two wives, Rachel and Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah. And so Joseph, being the firstborn of Rachel, was very special uh, to, to Jacob, and he definitely favored him. And so he, he, he got him this like nice, uh, multicolored uh, uh, coat uh, that Joseph wore. And his, his brothers were very jealous of the way that uh, Jacob treated Joseph. And so what made matters worse is Joseph, uh, w- w- he was uh, kind of a dreamer, and he was able to interpret dreams as well. And he got this dream that he told his brothers about, uh, basically, there's these different sheaves of wheat. And, you know, um, the sheaves that represented the brothers bow down to the sheaves that represent Joseph. And so they, they hear that dream and they're like, dude, are you saying that we're going to bow down to you? You're like one of the youngest, right? Like, what kind of arrogance? Like, who would even say that? And even... Uh, uh, Joseph's mother was like, yo, yo, Joseph, you got to chill <laughs> talking about these dreams, man. Are you saying that we're all going to bow down to you? You know? And so they started to really hate Joseph and they started to conspire. They're like, dude, when we get an opportunity, when no one's looking, we're going to kill this guy. And, and so this, this is what you see in Joseph's, uh, uh, sorry, Genesis 37, verse 19. Uh, there, there, there comes a time where Joseph, uh, they, they see Joseph alone. And they say, hey, here comes the dreamer. Uh, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Uh, Reuben's uh, the oldest, you know, he's responsible. He's like, hey, let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Um, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And it gets worse. They say, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Um... So uh, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So here we see uh, his brothers plot to kill him. They, they throw him into a well, which, you know, probably wasn't very fun, probably didn't feel good. You know, Joseph might have gotten hurt. We're told there wasn't a lot of water in, in the, the well to catch his fall, you know. Uh, so he's probably hurt here at the bottom of the well. And not only that, but his brothers sell him into slavery. How many of us would look at this situation and be like, well, that's not so bad. This is terrible, right? I mean, this is like, like probably, you know, the worst day of Joseph's life. And his brothers do this to him. I mean, and it's his brothers too. Oh my goodness. And so for us, very naturally, this is our reaction. Oh, this is bad, right? And then, you know, something happens where uh, uh, Joseph, he is put in, in the uh, in Egyptian officer's uh, household. Uh, his name is Potiphar. 
And Potiphar comes to really trust Joseph because he's a hard worker and he's very honest. And he puts him in charge of his entire household. But Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and sees that he's really good looking and tries to seduce him. And Joseph doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to betray uh, his master. He knows it's wrong. He, re- he, he resists Potiphar's wife's advances. And Potiphar's wife basically frames him and says that Joseph tried to take advantage of her when they were alone. And so Joseph gets thrown into prison. He doesn't do anything wrong. He was honest. He had integrity. And looks where, look where it gets him. And again, we look at this situation. You know, we're like, okay, it was going good for Joseph for a while, right? He, he was, uh, it, it's almost like a roller coaster, this whole story. You know, you look at it, uh, you know, brothers want to kill him, but they don't because some of the brothers are like, no, 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 let's not kill him. You're like, okay, jo- brothers want to kill him, bad. They spare his life, good. They, you know, sell him into slavery, bad. But he's actually put in Potiphar's household and becomes, you know, the, this head servant, good. But then he gets framed, and then he gets thrown into jail. Bad, right? But then when he's in jail, when he's in prison, uh, he meets um, uh, these servants of, of Pharaoh, and he interprets their dreams. And eventually what happens is that uh, Pharaoh has dreams that he can't interpret. And because Joseph has his reputation for being able to interpret dreams, that he has an audience before Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams rightly, and then Pharaoh puts him in charge of, of his whole um, estate, right? And then we're like, okay, that's good, right? And brothers and sisters, this is very natural for us to look at situations and say, bad, good, bad, good. It reminds me of a story I once heard. Uh, it's kind of a fable, um, but it's a story uh, of uh, uh, an old farmer, And so let me read the story for you. There lived an old farmer who had worked in his fields for many, many years. One day, his horse bolted away. His neighbors dropped in to commiserate with him. What awful luck, they said sympathetically, to which the farmer only replied, we'll see. Next morning, to everyone's surprise, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How amazing is that, they exclaimed in excitement. The old man replied, We'll see. A day later, the farmer's son tried to mount one of the wild horses. He was thrown on the ground and broke his leg. Once more, the neighbors came by to express their sympathies for their stroke of bad luck. We'll see, said the farmer politely. The next day, the village had some visitors, military officers who had come with the purpose of drafting young men into the army. They passed over the farmer's son thanks to his broken leg. The neighbors patted the farmer on his back. How lucky he was to not have his son uh, go into the army. We'll see, was all that the farmer said. Friends, uh, you know, maybe you've experienced this in life where there's something that happened to you and um, it, it actually turned out to be something that was really good, even though in the beginning we judged it as bad. Um. How many of you have been through something that at the time you thought, this is the worst thing that could happen to me? Some tragedy, some heartbreak, something that that really, really hurts you. Now, brothers and sisters, um, you know, if it's been some years, 
I know for many, many people, when you talk to them about the worst disappointments, um, the, the, the worst tragedies even, the most painful experiences, the most trying and difficult times, oftentimes we look back on those times, and not necessarily that we're like happy about it, but we see that those times were instrumental for shaping us into who we are today. We wouldn't be the people that we are if we didn't go through those times. There, there's many people, uh, a lot of um, uh, uh, saints, a, a lot of uh, very spiritually mature people, um, you, you know that they've gone through some brokenness. You know that they've gone through some heartbreak. You know that they, they have gone through some disappointment. And in many ways, God is able to use those things for our good, right? And, and so when people are asked this question, you know, about the worst experiences of their life, and they say, no, 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 actually, those things were actually good in a way, in the way that I was able to grow from those things. And then when people are asked the question, if you could go back in time and prevent whatever happened to you in the past, would you do it? And most people, surprisingly, a good number of people say, no, they wouldn't change what happened to them. But brothers and sisters, you know, we may know this, and, and we may have experienced this in life, but for many of us, while we are going through the thing, it is hard for us to see that perspective. You know, when we're going through these difficult things, we still are like, ah, this is bad. God, why? Why are you doing this to me? But Joseph's perspective is amazing through this whole thing, right? And by the way, brothers and sisters, what happens if you have the kind of perspective um, that, that these things are bad? You're going to be fighting it. Uh, for a lot of people, I think we're actually really bitter. You know, we're bitter at God. We're bitter at the circumstances. It changes how you act. But when you see Joseph, Joseph doesn't lose hope. He doesn't lose faith, and he doesn't lose integrity, right? The way that he acts is like somebody who trusts that God is in control. Only somebody who really knows that God is in control can act the way Joseph does, right? Um, let's take a look at uh, uh, the story that we read today in the end. This is kind of uh, how the story ends. But so um, what you didn't see here was... Uh, Joseph is put in charge of um, basically uh, kind of second in charge uh, uh, in Egypt, and there's a famine that 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 happens in the land, and uh, Joseph is put in charge of basically managing this entire famine and managing all the resources and all the grain uh, for all the people who are going through um, this famine, and so. Uh, Jacob's family, uh, they're affected by the famine, and so they hear that there's grain in Egypt, and they go to buy grain from Pharaoh. And of course, who's in charge of passing out the grain? It's Joseph. But they don't recognize him. You know, he's probably got the Egyptian garb. You know, it's been many, many years. He looks very different. And, and, and they definitely don't expect to see him. And so, you know, uh, there's this whole narrative where uh, Joseph pretends not to know them, and he gets them to, to, to bring his youngest brother, who they left at home. Um, and then, you know, eventually he reveals himself. 
that he's Joseph, and he forgives them, right? And, and he actually provides for them and treats them very kindly. Um, the brothers, I mean, can you imagine the kind of reaction you would have to knowing that the brother that you uh, sold into slavery now is in a position above you, right? Now he's got his life in your hands, right? And so they're rightly kind of freaked out, but Joseph uh, seems to forgive them. But then Jacob dies, right? And so this is the story that we hear here, uh, that their father dies and they worry again, right? They say, well, what if Joseph uh, holds a grudge against us? What, what if he wants to pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him? Can, can you change to the next slide? Uh, thank you. Um, and so what they do is they scheme, right? And so we, we don't ever hear Jacob actually say these words, but the implication, I think, is that they just made it up. They're, they're like, okay, let's tell Joseph that Jacob's last wish was for him to treat us kindly, right? And so, brothers and sisters, what you see with the brothers is they're always scheming. You know, they can't trust Joseph in many ways because they can't trust in God. With Joseph, he doesn't scheme, right? I mean, and even when Joseph acts honestly, sometimes the things seem to go against him, right? Like, in the story with Potiphar, or even in him talking to his brothers about his dreams, you know? I mean, there's many situations where a, a person who's trying to control everything would act differently, you know? Um, there, there's some people that, I don't know, there, there's like the election, and, and they're like, oh, I don't trust these results. And politicians will do things to try to, to maneuver things to preserve their power. Right? They're like, ah, I can't trust what's going to happen here. I'm going to have to, you know, do some shadiness or lose some of the votes or whatever, right? Why do people do this? Why do people act this way? Or, or maybe, you know, in, in your, your business, uh, uh, for those of us who work, maybe you see other people acting dishonestly and you're like, hey, I need to act dishonestly too or I'm going to fall behind, Right? Well, if I don't fudge my numbers like everyone else, then I'll lose my job. In many ways, brothers and sisters, that's kind of like the brothers, you know? The brothers who are lying to Joseph and saying, hey, this is what your father said, when his father said nothing of the kind, right? But Joseph doesn't do that because Joseph knows who is fully in control. And you see that in the end in what he says to his brothers, um, so when, they, when Joseph gets uh, their message, he weeps. And the brothers came before him, um, and they, they threw themselves down. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Again, right? Joseph understands who's fully in control. It's God, not him. It's not for him to fudge things or change things the way that his brothers have been doing their entire lives. They're schemers, kind of like their father, right? Joseph is not, right? He's like, I'm not God. I can't take the place of God. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. 
I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I mean, it's extraordinary, right? Who would act this way? You know, and just to see Joseph's words, right? He's like, okay, you definitely intended to harm me. He's not a dummy, right? He knows that they were doing bad things. But at the same time, he's like, yes, but ultimately, God was in control. God used what you intended for evil, and he was able to use it for God. So I'm not even mad at you, right? I don't need to get vengeance. What is vengeance? Vengeance is, in a way, us not trusting that things will turn out right in the end. We're like, no, I got to take justice in my own hands. I have to be the one to make this right. But Joseph doesn't need to get vengeance. He doesn't need to uh, 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 take it out on his brothers because he's like, hey, this is the will of God. I trust in that. How free Joseph is. Are we free in this way? Brothers and sisters, I don't got to tell you that there are many things that seem harmful to us right now. There are many things that we look at and we're like, this is bad. But brothers and sisters, what would it look like to have the kind of freedom that Joseph had? The kind of freedom to be able to say, hey, we'll see. I trust that God is going to be able to use all things. I mean, man, Joseph's story is so long. It's like that story of the man with the horse, right? There's so many twists and turns in the story. There's so many times where we might be tempted to stop and say, okay, now this is the will of God. Or no, this can't be the will of God because this is bad. But Joseph all along, I mean, even, you know, the way this story ends is that he saves the people of Israel, right? And they actually move to Egypt and they're provided for. And so out of his suffering, out of all this evil, the entire people of Israel are saved. And we're like, yay, that's great. But then in Exodus, we find out that the new Pharaoh doesn't remember Joseph and looks at the Israelites as a nuisance. And they, 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 they treat the, the Israelites like slaves and they put them to hard labor and, and they do all kinds of nasty things. They kill their firstborn because they're, they're afraid of an uprising of the slaves. So now we look at that situation and we're like, God, why? This is bad. This is terrible. But then, God saves his people. Brothers and sisters, it goes on and on and on. How many times are we so tempted to stop in the middle of the story and say, this is good, this is bad? What about for you? What about in your life? Are you in the middle of your story? I think we all are. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want to downplay. Maybe where you are in your story is genuinely painful. When Joseph was thrown into that cistern, and when he hit the bottom of that cistern, I bet it genuinely hurt. When he was sold into slavery, I bet it was genuinely painful. 
I mean, you see the tears in his eyes when he's reconciled with his brothers. In fact, Joseph, even though he seems like this kind of Boy Scout this whole time, he actually kind of jerks them around a little bit. If you guys know the story, he pretends that he doesn't remember them, and he actually sets them up. He frames them. You know, uh, They buy the grain, and then he puts their money back in their sacks, so it kind of looks like they, they stole the grain. You know, and, and he does all this stuff, but in the end, he forgives him. But you kind of see there's a struggle for Joseph, I think, where he's like, you know, I, I kind of want to make these guys pay a little bit because it probably was genuinely painful to be treated like that by your own brothers, to be in prison when you didn't do anything wrong. He's falsely in prison. Man, whenever I hear a story of somebody who's been like falsely in prison for 40 years and they come out and they're super gracious, I'm like, how can that be? How can that be? Man, I would be so bitter. I would be so angry. Right? And brothers and sisters, again, I don't want to downplay. Maybe you're going through a tough time. And yes, it may genuinely be something that is meant for bad. That is, in many ways, genuinely painful. But this is the God that we worship. That God is able to take the painful, the messed up, the, the, the things that we look at that are bad and use them for our good. We know that because of Jesus Christ, right? That's the story of Christ. You know, look at this parallel, actually. When you see uh, what, um, what Joseph says, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you remember brothers and sisters, when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And, and he's on the cross, and there are people who put him there, right? The, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and they're mocking him. And as they are mocking him, the Roman soldiers that, that put him up there, uh, as, as they're mocking him and making fun of him, he looks down on them and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. He's able to forgive them. He is so free that he's able to do that. But brothers and sisters, in some ways, I, I never really thought about this before, but do you think there could be a double meaning in, in they know not what they do? Maybe it's they know not what they do in the sense that probably most of us think it, that you know they, they, they are crucifying an innocent man, right? But maybe there's another sense that they don't even know that this cross is going to be used for the salvation of all of mankind. That through this ugly, evil act is going to be brought about the greatest glory. Brothers and sisters, you see Jesus himself. And in the way that he approached um, his cross that he was going to have to bear. Again, Genuinely painful, right? There was blood. There, there was a, a, a real rejection that Jesus faced on the cross. Right? It wasn't fun. It wasn't a picnic. But Jesus endured it. And you see, when he's in Gethsemane, what, what I call the dangerous prayer that he prayed, 
You know, he's thinking about the cross. He's thinking about what he's going to have to endure. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I call that the dangerous prayer because, (laughs) you know, in many ways, when we look at things that we think are good and bad, it doesn't always match up with God's will, right? Things that we think are bad to us might be something that God is able to use for our good, right? So brothers and sisters, let me ask you. I I know it's the spiritual thing to say, oh yeah, yeah, Pastor Steve, I I can totally pray this prayer. You know, not my will, but yours be done. Look where that got Jesus. It got him to the cross, right? He had to go through the pain. Did you know that God's will might bring you through the fire, might bring you through the trial that is genuinely painful. We don't like to hear that in contemporary America. You know, so much of of modern, uh, especially Western Christianity, you know, we like to skip the whole cross part. You know, we're like, ah, you know, okay, Jesus took up the cross. We're really thankful but all of our praise, all of our emphasis is on, you know, glory and blessings and all of these things. And brothers and sisters, that, that's a version of Christianity that, honestly, you don't really see in the life of Jesus. And a lot of the people, like Joseph, right, you see them go through genuinely painful periods. I mean, look at all the prophets who are persecuted and even killed because they stick to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, what if, what if, instead of praying, God, can you help me to get this job? Because you don't really know if that's going to be good or bad in the end. What if your prayer was this? Father, if you are willing, help me to get this job. I don't think it's bad to ask that. Jesus asked, God, is there any way we can do not do, we cannot do the cross thing, right? It's not bad to ask. But in the end, the ultimate prayer, where Jesus ends up is not with what he desires. What he desires is no cross. Can you blame him? Who wouldn't want to not have to, you know, die on a cross, right? But ultimately, he says, yet not my will but yours be done. This is a story uh, that I've heard um, from Brennan Manning. Um, It it comes from a a one-act play by Thornton Wilder. Um, It's called The Angel That Troubled the Waters, based on uh, John 5, 1 through 4. Uh, It's a dramatization of the Pool of Bethesda that was able to heal people. I want to read you uh, this story. This comes from... um, Abba's child, but Brennan Manning has told the story many times uh, in many different forms. But um, So in Thornton Wilder's uh, one-act play, The Angel That Troubled the Waters, um, it, it talks about this, the, the pool of Bethesda uh, and the power to heal whenever an angel stirred its waters. A, a, a physician comes periodically to the pool, hoping to the, be the first one in line and longing to be healed of his melancholy. So that, that's like another word for like depression, some kind of like really just, um, uh, just a terrible sadness that is plaguing this physician. And the angel finally appears but blocks the physician 
just as he is ready to step into the water. The angel tells the physician to draw back, for this moment is not for him. The healing is not for him. Can you imagine what the physician is feeling? Like, why wouldn't you want to heal me? What do you mean this isn't for me? And so the physician pleads for help in a broken voice, but the angel insists that healing, that the healing is not intended for him. The dialogue continues, and then comes the prophetic word from the angel. Without your wounds, where would your power be? It is your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men and women. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only wounded soldiers can serve. A couple years ago, um, as some of you know, I, I was uh, suffering from these terrible panic attacks that uh, brought me to the point where um, I was just like anxious all the time. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. It was unbearable. I mean, there were times where I just thought to myself, I, I, I just, I, I can't continue this way. It's just so painful. I, I, I mean, there were times where I couldn't sleep at night. And, and there were so many times where I prayed to God, God, can you take this from me? God, please, I am in agony. I can't sleep. Can you please take this from me? And I was reminded of passages like this of stories like this. Not my will, but yours be done. And to be honest, for me, I'm like, but how can God be good? How can God be loving and not take this pain from me? And this is the thing, brothers and sisters. During that season, I, I, I don't really, I can't really under, understand it, but there were many people that God put across my path, who were dealing with very similar things, with panic attacks, with anxiety, with uh, mental illness of different kinds. And as I was going through that season, I was able to relate to those people, to talk to people in ways that I wouldn't have been able to if I didn't go through that time. You know, uh, there was a couple times, there was actually one time I was at a mall and there were these people that, um, it, it was uh, the other church I used to serve at, but I just randomly ran into them at the mall. And we just started talking and, um, you know, somebody was sharing about um, her daughter-in-law who was going through debilitating panic attacks just like me. And actually, I was just sharing about what was going on in my life. And these two people just kind of kept looking at each other and like, are you serious? And then they told me about, you know, this woman's daughter-in-law. And, and so, you know, I was able to share just a little bit of the things that I learned through, through the things that I went through. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't fully know why we go through these things. I'm not saying that God makes the bad things happen. But this is what I do know. God is able to use even what is meant for evil to use it for good, to use it for redemption. I mean, I can say now, 
even though it was painful, what I went through. Lord, if that is your will, then I'm willing to go through it. Knowing that it's not just that God takes bad things and is able to bring out beauty and goodness, but that God himself is good. We are in God's hands. That's the kind of trust that Joseph had. That's the kind of trust that Jesus had. No matter what he went through, he's bound on his way to the cross. People are jeering him, and, 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 and you know people are you know spitting on him. And Jesus is able to know, you know what? God, you're in control. He doesn't need to quake. He doesn't need to be anxious. He doesn't need to wonder, how is this going to turn out? What's going to happen to me? He knows, he knows for certain that God is in control and it will turn out for his good. That's the kind of faith that Joseph has. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, would you be willing to pray this prayer? I, I know I called it a dangerous prayer. But in many ways, it's not. Because we don't have a dangerous God. We have a God who's loving and kind and has good purposes for your life. So if it is the will of God, then you can be assured that it is for your good and it is for the good of many. God can take even your pain and bring out so much richness out of that, bring out so much redemption. I don't know the end of your story, and nor will you. But you can go through life with your heart assured, with absolute peace, knowing that God is completely in control. I just want to take a moment um, before we go into communion. Communion is the story of Jesus going to the cross and sharing this good news, this redemption, with his disciples. But I just want to give us a moment before we do that. Just maybe, you know, you can close your eyes or just take a moment to be still. And I want you to think about whatever situation you're going through. I bet there's a situation in your life right now that you're kind of resisting, that you're looking at and you're like, this is bad, this is not good. I don't like it. God, I don't like it. God, can you take this from me? You know, and again, it is not wrong to ask that. God may grant it, but ultimately to say, yet not my will, but yours be done. Can you do that, brothers and sisters? Can you do that with me? Whatever situation you're going through right now that you're resisting, can we say, Lord, this is what I want, yet not my will, but yours be done.